Well, before I begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is May 10th, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with Gregory Rising, who is in Gary, Indiana. Is that correct? Beautiful Gary, Indiana. Yeah, okay. And we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? I was born in Gary, Indiana on February 13th, 1942. Okay. And what were your parents' names? My father was named Otto Rising, and my mother was named Mary Rising. Okay. And uh, where was your family from before Indiana? I mean, what are our historical roots? Yeah. Okay. So my father's people came over from Germany in, I believe, 1856 or so, and my and lived in southern Indiana. Okay. Posey County, to be exact. Interesting. Okay. Cool. And my mother, uh, people came from Ireland during the Great Potato Famine. Yeah. Okay. And she was born Interesting, okay. Which, uh, which you probably never heard of. No, I haven't, yeah. <laughs> it was the last stop before the Indian Territory. Oh, wow. Okay, that's interesting. Wow. And uh, what were your parents' occupations growing up? They were both school teachers. Oh, okay, cool. Much to my good fortune. Yeah, I bet, sure. Did you have any siblings? Oh, yeah. I had five siblings. Okay. I was the youngest of six. Oh, okay. Three, yeah. three boys and three girls. All right. Interesting. And how would you describe your childhood? Uh, American idyllic. Okay. Yeah. Who would you say were the most influential people in your life growing up? Growing up? Yeah. Obviously, my father and my mother. Any grandparents, or? Uh, there was only one grandparent who was living at the time I was born. Ah, okay. Sure. And uh, she was a very nice lady. We visited her several times in O'Neill, Nebraska. Her name was Nellie Finley. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, a little Irish. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> And what understanding, if any, did you have about your family's political views as a child? We were, and we still are, liberal Democrats. Okay, sure. And uh, what schools did you attend as a child and teenager? Well, I went to grade school at a Catholic school called Holy Angels. Okay. And I couldn't figure out what other kind of angels there were. That was what they called it. Okay. <laughs> and then I went to Horace Mann Public High School, Indiana University for my undergraduate degree, and the George Washington University School of Law for my law degree. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And how would you describe your educational experiences at those schools? Hated every minute. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Did you have any subjects that you liked? History and political science. Okay. Were you involved in any clubs or sports teams? Well, let's see, I was born left-handed and cross-eyed, so I was never on a sports team. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but I uh, I was in uh, Young Democrats in college. Sure. And uh, stuff like that. Right, right. Got it. Okay. Uh, as a child, what were your views about the state of Indiana or about being a Hoosier? Conflicted. Okay. Why is that? Yeah. Well, the state of Indiana looks down their nose at Lake County. Okay. Thomas Marshall, former vice president of the United States under Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Before he was vice president of the United States. He was governor of Indiana. And uh, in 1914 or 1915, I forget which, he said, quote, I just wish Gary, Indiana would slide into Lake Michigan and disappear. Close quote. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, I think most Hoosiers still feel the exact same way. Wow. Yikes, okay. Yeah, that, I guess that definitely could leave you conflicted then, if you're hearing stuff like that. Jeez. Well, I heard it all the time when I was in the state yeah. legislature. Oh, wow. In the, state, in the state legislature, oh my they gosh. Me the representative from the state of Lake. Oh, my Not God. Not the county of Lake, the state of Lake. Yikes. So, I guess, for most of your life, it sounds like, then you might have heard these sort of negative comments about where you came from. Well, you know, I don't know how much you know about Indiana. Right. But in the 1920s, Indiana was run by the Fox Klan. But there weren't enough Negroes to hate. Wow. So they turned the wrath on Catholics. Jeez. And... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan, Mr. Stephenson. Vaguely. Vaguely. You'll read up on it. It's really, really fascinating. Well, he was the Grand yeah. Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan in Indiana in the 1920s. Right. Until he murdered viciously his secretary, Madge Bowles. Yikes. It's, uh, it's quite a story. Yeah. So, how did you, I mean, I guess jumping ahead a little bit now, since, since you kind of brought up uh, just yeah, animosity towards Gary, Indiana, and, and that area, how did you deal with that in the State General Assembly? I used it to my advantage. Okay. How so? How does a black man use his race to his advantage? He gets up and challenges people, and they feel guilty, and then they do what he wants. Yeah, okay. And so I guess you found that pretty effective at getting people to hear your perspective and and help and, uh, your constituents. My wishes. Yeah. yeah, okay, sure. Now, what was your major in college? 
undergraduate? Yeah. Political science. Okay, political science. And then you went to law school. Okay. Uh-huh. And so after... Well, it wasn't quite that easy, but yeah. Right, yeah. That's right. That's the, the summary version, yeah. yeah I suppose. Um, so after graduation, uh, what were your job prospects? What were you hoping to do? Graduation from what? College. From law school. From law school? Yeah. Well, when I graduated from high school, I mean college. Yeah. Undergraduate. I took a train to Washington, D.C. to announce to the world I was ready to go to work. Yeah, okay. And uh, actually ended up being hired by the House of Representatives. Wow. Uh, to be a clerk. Okay, yeah. And uh, when I got that job, I then enrolled in my law school at George Washington University School of Law, and uh, spent four years working for the House. This was during Linda Johnson years. Right. And uh, going to law school at the same time. Wow. Okay. That must have been quite the educational experience then to do that and law school at the same time. Jeez. Not to mention the fact that I was raising a bunch of kids at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh. How many kids were you raising? Uh, by the time I finished law school, I had three. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty... And after law school, I was blessed with one more. Yeah, that's impressive. Wow. Well, you know, everybody talks about their adventures in the 60s with the counterculture and everything. Yeah. All I did was work, study, and take care of the kids. Okay. So, yeah, you... Jeez. Um, so, how did your uh, awareness of politics change as you matured? How, I guess, uh, you know, considering your time around the House of Representatives, how did that influence your politics? Well, I was born a liberal Democrat. I'll die a liberal Democrat. Yeah. And so. your first job after law school and after the House of Representatives work that you did? Uh, I decided I wanted to go back to Indiana. Okay. 
so uh, I got a hold of uh, Rest Test Night, which is the publication of the uh, Bar Association of the State of Indiana. Yeah. And I told them that I wanted to run an ad in that uh, magazine uh, as a lawyer looking for work in Indiana. Okay. And they had never had an advertisement in that magazine up to that point in time. Right. So, so they held meetings, they had committees, they finally let me run this ad. Okay. So I got two responses. One from a little town just north of Evansville, which really interested me, saying that my family was mostly from Evansville. Yeah. And one from a place in Gary, Indiana. So apparently, um, somebody warned the guy in this little town in Indiana that saying that I was from Gary, Indiana, I might be Negro. Oh, jeez. Wow. And uh, he called me up and canceled the appointment. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so, insane. So, uh, you know, that left me with uh, Gary, Indiana. So yeah. I took a job uh, and came back here. Okay, yeah. Which was nice because my folks were still alive and they lived here. Right. So, yeah, that makes even sense. Though, even though my wife greatly resisted it because she said Gary smells. Okay. So I assured her Gary didn't smell. <laughs> and then uh, as we were driving back on the tow road, about 10 miles east of Gary, my oldest son, who was four at the time, said, what's that smell? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. But that was before air pollution controls. Right, right, yeah. Mm. And so, when did you get married? What year was that? I got married my senior year in college. Okay. Got it. Which was in 1964. I think I actually got married in December of 63, as I recall. Right, right. But uh, that marriage only lasted 12 years. Okay. And how did your family influence your career um, as a lawyer than as a as a legislator? Well, I mean, mom and dad were Franklin Roosevelt Democrats. Yeah, and they imbued me with you know they they inoculated me that you know that, that became my stick. Right. Sure. And of course, as a young Catholic kid who was interested in politics, I was also greatly enamored with JFK. Right, yeah. At the uh, 1956 Democratic Convention. Right. And in fact, just to show you how political we were, that Christmas in 1956, uh, my folks bought me a copy of Profiles of Courage for Christmas. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was 14 years old. Yeah, so you were, yeah, you were pretty interested then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would get up on Sunday and watch the, uh, you know, meet the press. Okay. And all those 
Yeah, yeah. Predict what people were going to say. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, a good way to really uh, get an understanding of what's going on in the country then and, and develop your, your political beliefs. and Yeah. Sure. So... Yeah, well, Eisenhower was president, which was like having no president at all. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's the funny thing about our current president. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, when did you become more seriously involved in politics while in Gary? Well, we had a very strong young Democrat uh, contingency at the time. A lot of people who were activated by JFK, just like I was. Yeah. And uh, I was always a good public speaker. Huge march. They won their elections by a 
Right. Okay. And I told him that I'd have to go look at my opponent. And so I went over to Valparaiso. And this guy got up and spoke. And somebody asked him uh, what the difference between a Republican and a Democrat was. And he said, well, you see, Republicans are for small government. Republicans believe there shouldn't be regulations that regulate people's lives. And that's why I favor a, what's the word I'm looking for? Curfew on all teenagers. And I thought to myself, I'm a fucking idiot. I can beat this guy. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so as you initially became involved in politics, what were the key issues or legislation that you wanted to champion or fight against? Well, my number one issue, uh, when I, I had two, two number one issues when I ran. NIPSCO, which is the Northern Indiana Public Service Company, mm-hmm. was planning to build a nuclear power plant on the shores of Lake Michigan. Mm, okay. And I was adamantly opposed to that. Right. And Indiana had not yet passed the ERA, and I was adamantly in favor of that. Yeah, okay. So those were the two issues that it actually gave me my, my victory. Yeah, sure. Because I had a lot of women working on my campaign. And the people who lived along the shores of Lake Michigan, when they found out that I was against this, because everybody was for it, you know. Mm-hmm. America had been sold on the idea that nuclear power was a wonderful thing. Right. And, uh, but it was a wedge issue in a district where they were going to build one. Yeah. Yeah. So I used that wedge issue. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And did you have like a campaign strategy at all, or was it just these issues? Yeah, I did. Okay, I did. Uh, I figured that I had to get that if I got ninety percent of the vote in Miller, the area where I live, yeah, that I could win the election by two votes. Uh, okay. Sure. So I adopted a slogan here in the Lake County side because you got to vote for two people. Yeah. So my slogan was vote for two, rising in you. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Clever, so yeah. That, so that the other Democrat would benefit from my campaign. Right. And it worked. Yeah. I won by 91 votes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then and then the other Democrat insisted on a recount. And after the recount, I won by 104 votes. So I then became known as Landslide Rising. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> wow. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Sounds like you had some 
some good messaging and nicknames there, then. Uh. Well, you know, my name is, I've noted is spelled R-E-I-S-I-N-G. Yeah. So people tend to call me Reezy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I adopted a slogan. Our hopes are rising. Yeah. And uh, I had a contest in the campaign that you could win a ticket on a hot air balloon and ride over the district. That was a lot of fun. We raised a lot, you know, enough money to rent a hot air balloon. And then we put a big sign on the side that said our hopes are rising. Yeah. And flew it over the district. It was very cool. Yeah. It's always always helpful to have a a good last name for when you're running a campaign that you can put into advertisements. So that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Or to figure out how to use it. You know, yeah. Birch Pye, Birch Pye had a terrible last name, but he used it. Yeah, like, yeah. That song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your first election day like? Well, the first election day was uh, the primary. Yeah. And uh, that's what I won by uh, a narrow margin. Sure. And um, the one thing I remember most about that is that we had a big party in my house. And about 1 o'clock in the morning, this guy came up to me, drunk as a skunk his arm around me, and he said, you know, Rising, this is the first campaign I've ever worked on where my client, my choice, actually won the race. He said, that makes me goddamn suspicious of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And when you won uh, election, how did you feel? Uh, like I was walking on air, man. Yeah, <laughs> pre-pumped. I just, yeah. uh, I just moved the district from uh, 20,000 plus Republicans to Democrats. Yeah, yeah. Pretty wild. And of course, it all had to do with timing because I, you know, the reason, the only reason I ran is because I knew the whole nation was so angry Yeah. at uh, Richard Nixon yep. that they were going to vote Democrat. Yeah. So uh, I owe it all to Dick. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've interviewed people on on both sides of the aisle about about that election cycle, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny funny to hear uh, yeah just everyone's reaction to to how that just big tidal wave came with, with for Democrats. Um, and uh, well, the big thing was the tapes and the cussing on the tapes. Yeah, yeah. What were you thinking when you walked into the state house for your first day in office? I'm going to show these motherfuckers how it's done. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So you, I guess you were pretty, uh, pretty pumped up and ready to go, I guess. Well, not only that, but I had, you know, I had all the experience. Yeah, that's true. Watching the way it really works. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Watching the way bills get drafted and actually handling the bills and reading them. Yeah. So that was a huge advantage. Uh, because I 
because I read every bill that was introduced. Right. Strike that. I read every bill that was on the calendar. Ah, uh, okay. Got it. I would go in. I would go in an hour early every day and look at the calendar, and they gave you, you know, all copies of all the bills in, in numerical order. And I'll pull out the ones that were on the calendar. I'd sit down and read them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, nobody else did. Yeah. Okay. And people just saw this astounding. Right. Interesting. Okay. And after a while, the sponsor would never yield to me for a question. Because the first couple times they did, you know, I'd read the bill in the hand. <laughs> and they got massacred. Yeah. Wow. So when you came in, you were pretty prepared for the legislative process and I guess felt pretty comfortable then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's always a nice advantage to have. Yeah, some I know some people come in not really having a clue about how the process works. So. Some people have been there 20 years and have a clue about the process. <laughs> you know, they relied entirely on their staff. Yeah. There's a legislative bureau. Mm-hmm. What they call it, legislative services. Yeah, legislative services. They would services, actually yeah. write all the bills. Right. And they would depend on this and they wouldn't read the fucking bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. So the, so the first two weeks, I just sat there and didn't say a word and watched everybody and saw who was who and what was what. And then when I figured it all out, I pounced on it. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, since you spent time in the House of Representatives, how would you uh, sort of describe the similarities and differences between being in like a state assembly versus the House of Representatives? Well, I guess it's the difference between the minor leagues and the pros. I mean, yeah, uh, sure. The uh, most of them were in awe of the next level. Yeah, you know, there were several guys and a gal that I worked with who were really good, and I said, you know, you really ought to run for Congress. Yeah, because you're good at this. Yeah, they were like, you know, I couldn't do that. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. It was interesting. So people just thought, I guess, it was going to Washington was some kind of unreachable thing that... Right. Yeah. Wow. How did you keep in touch with your constituents while you were in the General Assembly? Well... You know, constituents, it's an interesting idea. It's a Texan. Mm-hmm. Okay, but most people don't have constituents. They have friends. Mm, okay. You know, I, I can remember <laughs> one time a bill came up that it had to do with billboards. Yeah. Limiting their use. And uh, the guy sitting in front of me, who was nameless, Turned to all us Democrats and said, "We got to kill this bill. People, are, our billboards are in front. Sometimes they give us free boards." <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> so, to answer your question, um, 
ideas are very powerful, and they're really powerful in the state legislature. Yeah. Because they know a lot more than the legislators. Right, right. And, of course, the number one lobby group is uh, the Chambers of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what they do now, but they used to hold sessions for the public. in your district and they would get the people there and they would come and you could contact them that way. Yeah. So, um, the first time I went to one of these chamber of commerce things, somebody raised their hand and said, Mr. Rising, I understand that you're against the nuclear power plant. And I said, that's true. And they said, uh, well, why in the world would you be against that? So I explained to them, you know, what a nuclear power plant really is, mm-hmm. what nuclear waste really is. You know, and they sat there and their eyes dilated. Yeah. And, uh, and they, my, my seatmate was Republican. I'll never forget this. And they asked him the response. Yeah. And he got up, and I could see that his knees were literally shaking behind the podium. Wow. And he said, he looked down at the floor, and he said, you know, when I see the American flag fluttering in the breeze, it gives me such a great pride and sense of being an American. Hey, what was on like that for about three minutes? Don't say a thing about this to the power. It's a big round of applause and sits down. Oh, my gosh. The next meeting they have, was in, that one was in uh, Valparaiso. The next one's in Chesterton. So uh, the guy from Disco gets up. He says, you know, Last session we had, uh, Mr. Rising had some things to say about the nuclear power plant. So even though this is just for legislators, uh, we've got Joe Blow over here from Nipsco, who's going to explain what this is really all about. And I jumped on the stage, grabbed the microphone, and said, Mr. Blow, I'm really glad to see you. <laughs> now we're going to find out what this is really all about. Blake Joseph, that's right. And I said, so you believe, I'm sure, that one of the reasons nuclear power is good is because it will end our dependency on the Arabs for oil. And he said, absolutely. And I said, so then we'll be dependent on Whoever has the most radioactivity active materials from which to make a bomb in their country. And he said, Well, I suppose that's true. And I said, Would it surprise you to learn that Nigeria has the greatest reservoir of nuclear fissile? 
said, so you want to trade our dependency on the Arabs for dependency on the Africans. Is that it? And uh, that went on for about a half an hour until he ran out the door. And uh, the Chamber of Commerce canceled all future meetings. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I got to my constituents uh, through the fact that I was making news. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like you had yeah. a knack for, for really, yeah, getting your voice out there and and communicating well, I knew, stuff. I knew what I was talking. I knew what yeah. I was talking about. Yeah. I'm like Joe Blow, who had no idea. Yeah. You know, they gave me some talking points and sent him off to this meeting, and the poor guy, you know, he didn't he didn't stand a chance. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, what was the first bill you sponsored? You don't remember? Okay, that's it's always hit or miss. Some people remember, some people don't. So that's okay. <laughs> well, I remember that the, the leadership in the house would give these rinky-dink bills to freshmen. Oh, okay. And you know, so they'd have something in their quiver, so to speak. Right, right. And they came up with this uh, rinky-dink bill about. Uh, um, oh, I know what it was. It was uh, uh, putting on your driver's license that they could use your body parts. Hmm, okay. If you were killed. Yeah. Which is, you know, it doesn't really need to be a law anyway. Right. Why would they have to do this? And I said, yeah, sure, okay. Um, but then, like I said, I stayed quiet for the first two weeks. Let it pass this ring to make the bill. And then I went at it. Yeah, okay. The important thing was not what you pass in the Indiana State Legislature, it's what you block. Mm, okay, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, because everybody's got an idea. Everybody's right. got a bill. And uh, here's the standard speech in the Indiana State Legislature. I'm sure they still use it. The guy's bill was called up. And he goes up to the microphone and he says, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the house, he said, uh, this is a nice little bill I have here. It's, uh, it, only, it only pertains to my district. And uh, it only does good things. And I hope you all vote for it. And if there are any mistakes in it, we'll clean it up in the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> You know, these damn things would pass here. You know, ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. So, do you remember some of the the bills that you worked on blocking or trying to block that you just thought were, you know, really bad? Well, the biggest thing was that the liquor industry had had its way in Indiana for years with something they called fair trade. Okay. Which was price fixing. Oh. So, like along the Indiana-Illinois border, all the bars were on the Illinois side of the street because they didn't have this stupid thing. Yeah. So, the year before I was elected, the Indiana Supreme Court noted that the state legislature had never 
can't be free trade for alcohol. Mm, okay. And, and this is something that had made up by uh, by the Alcoholic Beverage Commission without any legislative authority, so they threw it out. So the legislature was primed to the pump to pass this baby. They started out in the Senate, where it passed 50 to nothing. Then it came over to the House on first reading. I was the only person who spoke against it. And it passed on first reading 99 tomorrow. Mm, okay. But I raised a lot of issues. Yeah. And my talk. And people started making phone calls and, you know, checking with their constituents and calling the guys that own the liquor store. So, when it came up on second reading, I got 21 votes against it. And then the pot really started to boil. You know. And um, then I came up on third reading, and they fell one vote short. You have to have a majority in the House. You can't do it on a plurality. Right. And they only had 49 votes. So then they had to go back and retool and bring it up again. And liquor lobby just went crazy. <laughs> and it was uh, it came up again and it was my turn to speak and I went up and I said you know I said I think I've figured out the state legislature it's like being on a bowling team And at the end of the session, everybody gets a new bowling shirt, and the name of their sponsor is on the back of their shirt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I said, now, the back of the state legislature has got a big glass windows all around it. Yeah. And all the liquor lobbies had come up and pressing against Washington State. And I said, I want to take just a moment. And I want everybody in the house to turn and look and see who set those windows. I said, do you see any of constituents? I said, no. You see the liquor lobby. There it is. So he will through this bill. At the end of the legislature, you're going to shirt, get a shirt on that says on the back of the, the liquor lobby. I'm going to get one that says the people. Yeah. And I sat, and I sat down and I got 63 votes against the bill. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was terrific. That and the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah. I, I sponsored that. Co-sponsored it with another guy. And uh, so there were two times I was able to sway the house with a speech.
Wicket Lobby was the first time. The second time was the ERA. The most conservative member of the house, real nice guy by the name of Bob Jones. Mm-hmm. He got to speak in opposition first. And he brought up to, to the podium a Bible. And he read every section of the Bible that they dealt with women and men. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, you know, a woman should cleave to her husband. All I do know. Jeez. And he gets around and Big round of applause. Wow. Uh, it was my turn. And I went up and I said, uh, the time has come to remember the words of the great American folk philosopher, Yogi Berra. I said, Yogi Berra once said, you have to be careful if you don't know where you're going. Because you might end up someplace else. So, so I want to explain to you all what we're doing today and what we're not doing. And so what we're not doing is we're not amending the Bible. But what we are doing is we're amending the Constitution of the United States. And you may or may not be surprised to learn that there is a difference in those two documents. And I sat down and we passed the IRA. Wow. Yeah. That was very cool. Because nobody expected the house to pass the IRA. Right, right. The IRA. Yeah. So I said, those are the two two biggest moments I had in the house. Yeah. This guy came up to me afterwards and said, son of a bitch, he said, how'd you do that? He said, you know, when you said we have to quote Yogi Berra, he said, every camera was turned on, every reporter picked up a pen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, next question. Yeah. Um, so, what were the regular interactions like amongst members of the General Assembly? What was that? What were the like the regular interactions like amongst the different members of the General Assembly? Very friendly. Okay. I mean, like this Bob Jones, who was the uh, most conservative person in the House, and of course I was the most liberal. Yeah. Uh, no, we were we liked each other. We were friends. We went out to dinner together. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was before the, you know, it's before the Republicans decided we were all devils and the Democrats for sure they were. Yeah. That's interesting. So, when you were there, then Democrats and Republicans got along pretty well? Yeah, they did. Even after debates on things like the ERA and and other stuff, you felt... Comfortable being around each other still? Or? Okay, after I defeated the fair trade bill? Yeah. The chief liberal liquor lobbyist took me out to dinner. Really? Mm-hmm. How'd that go? Feels great. Yeah, okay. He said, man, you really smoked it, so I said, well, you deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. 
Jeez. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. Now, I read about you on the ERA a little bit. I saw you were mentioned a few times in the newspaper. Um, what were the main talking points by Republicans to sort of combat the passing of the ERA? Besides, I guess, the one that you're talking about where someone was quoting Bible passages. Were there any other main arguments they try to make against that? Or Well, the main argument was unstated. Okay. But definitely implied. Mm-hmm. And that was that you are surrendering the authority that men have over women. Mm, okay. And nobody wanted to say that out loud. Right. But they had, you know, there were, like every issue, there were dog, dog whistle words. Right. You know, like the sanctity of women. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Yeah, okay. That was, that was, that was one. Never understood but how, how passing the ERA was going to end their sanctity. But, uh, you know, and mom and apple pie and I have daughters. I wouldn't want to see this happen to them. And they might be drafted into the army if we were equal. Mm, okay. And that, that was one side. And the other side was ridicule. Sounds like you had a lot of quick-witted remarks that you can make to people, as well as sort of on and off the cuff, and as well as just speeches that were uh, pretty good at sort of tackling a dispute in the general assembly. How did you prepare for for speeches and things like that? Did you did you do any preparation, or did you just feel really no, comfortable? I thought I thought about it on the way up to the microphone. Okay, yeah. You just knew the issues, and you knew what you wanted to say, and you just crafted something then. Often, yeah, usually, yeah. You, you take off whatever the last person says or something like that. Yeah, okay. You kept their attention, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I bet, I'm sure. Sounds like you did, yeah. How about legislative business? How was it conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings? Dinner. Just over dinner? Okay, just going out with people and talking? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. D- did you often have a pretty good idea of how people would vote before voting? Well, you know which way the wind was blowing. Yeah. It was just a matter of getting people turned around. Right. You know, and getting people to understand what 
Sure, yeah. Remember, I, I, I found one bill that did just affect one district. Mm-hmm. And it was a railroad company that had been trying to buy this farm for years. And they couldn't. So this bill gave the railroad company the power of eminent domain over this farm. Over this farm. Okay. And I looked up where the farm was, and who was representing him was Republican. And I went over to him and I said, you know what this bill does? He said, no, I don't want to think about it. And I explained the whole thing to him. And he said, wow. <laughs> he said, that ought to be stopped. He turned to me and he said, would you speak against it? I said, no, it's your district, it's your constituent. You speak against it. Yeah. He didn't. Wow, okay. Yeah. So did, just like some people just, what, were not very comfortable being a legislator or? Or yeah, what was the well, reason for that? Stand, they couldn't stand, a lot of people couldn't stand the pressure. Oh, okay, got it, yeah. You know, politicians, by nature, and I was a much better legislator than I was a politician. Because mm-hmm. po- politicians, by nature, want everybody to love them. Yeah. And nobody to hate them. Well, you can't do that. Right, right. Uh, unless you're just not that Yeah. I mean, if, I guess if, if you have an opinion on something and you make it public, people are going to react in different ways, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Then you have it out where the power levers were. Right. I was trying to, I had a bill to, uh, to create, uh, uh, not harbors, but, uh, small boat harbors. Pleasurable harbors. All on shores of Lake Michigan. Because the Indiana State Legislature in 1913 had passed a law saying that Every county in every county in the state of Indiana can build their own port, except for any county that has three or more second-class cities. Hmm. Okay. Now, there's only one county in the state of Indiana that had three or more second-class cities, and that was the only county with a substantial shoreline, Lake County. Yeah. So I went to uh, I wrote a repeal on that couple repeal, which would give the counties, um, Lake County power to build marinas. Yeah. And, uh, the uh, steel mills were heavily close to it. Okay. They had gotten the speaker, who was a guy from East Chicago, to uh, bottle it up and put it in a safe. So the mayor of East Chicago time was a guy by the name of Bob Pastrick, who was an old-time political boss, but he said, when? Right. So he's not in the state legislature telling everybody from his district what to do. And I pretended like I bumped into him. I said, oh, hey, Bob. I said, yeah, I'm really surprised at you. He said, how's that? I said, well, I thought you won a marina. He said, well, I do. 
in the safe. This is at my desk on the floor. And he stands up the street, points to the speaker of the house, and points to the speaker's private office. Yeah. And the speaker says, I'll stand in recess. <laughs> and they went in there together, and you could hear them yelling and screaming at each other. And uh, finally they came out, and I could see that he had a bill in his hand. And I knew it was my bill, and he was going to hand it down on a sneak attack and see if he couldn't stop it. Right, okay. <laughs> so, uh, it is my bill. He, he comes and says, we now have a special order. The speaker now hands down such and such, and it was my bill. <laughs> so I jump to my seat, run to the microphone, and say, Mr. Speaker, how wonderful it is for you to add this to our list. This is one of the most important pieces of legislation that affects your district. And now we can have a marina in East Chicago, just like everybody wants. <laughs> and he just sits there like, oh, shit. And the bill passed, and the marina is, uh, is right there in East Chicago, and it's called the Robert Pastrick Marina. Yeah, that's wild. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Now, so it was great. It was great fun. Yeah, sounds like it. I mean, sounds like you have quite a few. It's just that you can't, uh, you can't raise four kids and have a happy marriage, or even an unhappy one. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's. And be in the state legislature. And one of the things that happened when I was down there was that uh, we'd spent a shitload of money rehab some old mansion in Indianapolis to make it the governor's mansion. Mm, okay. And Otis Bourne was governor. Yeah. And they had a special for legislators only a viewing of this house before the governor got to move into it. And the governor's wife were there greeting everybody in the state legislature. And uh, all these people would come because it was, you know, good food. You got to see everybody and see this new house. And um, most of the legislators brought, brought their spouses. So I was on my own. So I walked through every room in that mansion. And in every room in that mansion, there was a legislator arguing with his or her spouse. Hmm. And they all want something like this. You said this was going to be a nice night out. <laughs> you said it was going to be something special. This is just another goddamn political soiree. <laughs> hmm. And the guy would say, well, here, you know. And then I walked in one room where the woman legislator, who I want to ask you about later, was in there. And she was getting chewed up by her husband. That's funny. That's funny, yeah. Yeah. All the spouses are just... Her name is Marilyn Schultz. Have you come across that name at all? I have come across the name. I haven't talked to her, though, yet. Yeah. Well, if you do, call me back and let me know where she is. Yeah, okay. Will do. I'll make a note of that. Yeah. uh, She and I and one of the people were the three musketeers. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, she's yeah, she's on my list of call. I just haven't been able to get in contact with her yet, so I'll I'll keep trying. Uh, yeah, I do actually. Yeah, I, I still have a, a few more. Um, I was curious to know a little more about party leadership and how influential you felt they were. Well, they were completely influential over the legislators who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Okay. They didn't have much influence on anybody else. Okay. So did you feel pretty comfortable then, like, bucking party leadership when you wanted to, or? Well, absolutely. After yeah. all, I was a Democrat serving a district that the year before had voted Republican by, the election before, voted Republican by 20,000 votes. Yeah, yeah. So what were they going to do to me? Right, right. Yeah, I couldn't really afford to lose you, I guess, in that case, yeah. No, they couldn't afford to lose me. Yeah. There wasn't anybody else who had a chance of winning that seat, and so they had to kind of... Yeah. Run it better. Right, right. Did you uh, have some situations where you worked with the other party to get legislation done? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Do you remember... after after a while, uh, after about twenty days, they would come to me because they knew how, that I knew how to read and draft legislation. Mm, okay. So in a typical committee hearing, I would sit there while everybody else babbled on. I would mark up the bill, take out the mistakes. Yeah. And I fix them all up. And after at the end of the hearing, the chairman would always say, And now Mr. Rising will explain to us how to change this bill to make it work. <laughs> wow. And I go I, I go through it all. Oh, I forget this one time was I forget what the exact issue was, but it had to do with volunteer fire firemen. Okay.
find her attractive. I saw from over here, she's easy on the eyes. Decent look good because it's all set up. I said, what do you mean it's all set up? He said, well, she knows who you are. So you just go over there and tell her who you are. And she's already got the hotel room reserved. She's got the key. She'll tell you what room it is. And uh, you can meet her up there. I said, is that a fact? He said, yeah, it's a fact. And I said, you're doing this because I did you a favor in committee. He said, yes, we really, really appreciate it. And I said, well, listen, you fucking asshole. If I want to get laid, I know how to get laid. But if you ever come to my, my committee again, you'll get fucked. And I got up and walked out. Wow, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's insane. That's... Oh, that, stuff like that happened all the time. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, it didn't happen to me all the time. Right. But it was, you know, sex was one of the currencies. Wow. As I, as I told you the first time I talked to you, uh, there were three kinds of legislators. Those who went there to get laid. Those who went there to fuck somebody they didn't like. And those who were there to do the people's business. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Next question. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I guess this is kind of an appropriate next question that it kind of fits in. What does the public not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? Well, they don't know anything about it. Yeah. They are, they are given this uh, ridiculous song about how the government, the government's least, governs best. Mm-hmm. And that's why we only need eight, 60 days a year. You know, some of us think we should only be two days every six years, every 60 years, instead of 60 days a year. But that's how we live in small government. Well, actually, the exact opposite is true. That's how they keep control of everything, because it all happens so fast. Very few people have any idea what's going on. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, seems like from people I've talked to across the board, most say that yeah, people are pretty out of touch with what's going on. Um, yeah. Well, you know, American democracy has got one great weakness. And that is that we hold too many goddamn elections. Mm-hmm. And we have too many elected officials. Now, if you're, if you lived in in England, for example, and you went to the polls, there was only one thing you had to choose. Who is going to be your member of Parliament? Parliament chose everything else. Yeah. You know, we have an elected governor, we have an elected this, we have an elected that, we have an elected dog catcher, <laughs> and some jurisdictions. Yeah. We have, if you go into a, a, a ballot box in the right year, 
you have deliberately made hundreds of decisions. Who's going to be the president and vice president? Who's going to be the senator? Who's going to be the Indiana Secretary of State? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be the judge in the third district? I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, and it leads to an uninformed electorate. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we're, we have the system based on the 19th century. So we have 96 counties in Indiana. You know why? Nope. Each county is laid out so that if you're at the edge of the county, you can ride a horse to the center by 11 o'clock, have two hours to transact your business, and ride home before dark. Wow. That's why we have 96 counties. That's pretty crazy, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that worked in the 19th century. Right. In the 21st century, if you use that same idea, that you could drive to the county seat, conduct two hours of business, and come back, we'd have, we'd have four counties. Mm-hmm. Instead of 96. Yeah. We'd have 96 different elected recorders, auditors. Nobody knows what an auditor does. <laughs> yeah. You know, the people that get elected to it don't know what it is. I had lunch one time with the newly elected auditor of Lake County. And he said to me, he said, did you know that uh, the auditor is responsible for taking all the minutes of the meeting of the county commissioner? I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, you don't need to deny. He said, so when I found out, I, I, got, a sec I got a secretary to come with me and take it in shorthand. I put a recorder on the desk to record it, and I took notes myself. And uh, we had a, a commissioner at the time by the name of J.J. Forrest, who ended up going to jail. Yeah. So I said, after the first meeting, he said, I, I did the minutes. I said, did And J.J. called me up and says, you know, you forgot that we, uh, we did the uh, information for so-and-so to open a trailer park in such and such a spot. He said, I looked through my minutes, and there wasn't anything about this. And I listened to the tape. There wasn't anything about it. And I called him back and I said, it didn't happen. And he said, of course it happened. Now you just put those in the minutes, okay? He said, I don't understand what's happening. So I was with a seasoned politician at this luncheon in Lake County who asked me to go to this luncheon. Yeah. And he turned to me and he said, Greg, tell him. And I said, okay. I said, imagine you're standing in a hallway and there are a whole bunch of doors in front of you. And you get to choose which one to walk through. But once you walk
walk through that door, you can't walk back out. So that's where you are. You're standing in this hallway. Choose your door. Right. And he said, well, in that case, I wouldn't walk in any door. I said, that might be a good idea. He said, oh, I get it. I think he put it in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Wow. You have that's you have quite a few yeah different stories about these things. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I am either blessed or cursed <laughs> with one of the best memories. Yeah. You've ever come across. Yeah, no, it's good. I, I can remember things that happened to me when I was two years old. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, definitely lots of lots of good stuff. Um, let's see. What would you say was the most controversial? legislative issue during your time in the General Assembly? Oh, the liquor bill. Liquor bill, okay. And? Matter of fact, the Indiana Bartenders Association, after the session, voted me the number one son of a bitch in Indiana. (laughs) And they didn't even give me a plaque. Wow, okay. You got shortened on that one, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. But thanks to me, you can buy a cheap beer in Indiana. So, did that legislation take the most time, you think, in your experience, or? Well, you see, that's the thing. Everything is so compact. Yeah. Nothing takes a whole lot of time. Okay. Yeah. It's all bang, 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 bang. Right. And, of course, uh, the people know how to manipulate this. Sure, sure. What was your proudest moment as a legislator? the bill through to allow the public to fish at the Port of India. Okay. And the governor's liaison to the legislature. Great big fat guy, I can't think of his name. He called me in and informed me that the governor was going to veto my bill. And I said, why in the world would he veto the bill? Yeah. He said, well, we know why you passed. I said, really, you know? He said, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've checked it out. We know why you passed. And I said, well, why don't you enlighten me? He said, well, you know. I said, go ahead. He said, well, you know, you're from Gary, right? And I said, yeah, I'm from Gary. He said, Gary's mostly black people, right? I said, we have our share. He said, and black people like to fish, right? I said, okay. I said, so you think that I wrote this bill because I had had black constituents and they'll take favor in it because they like to fish. He said, yeah, that's true, isn't it? I said, "Uh, my friend, I'm going to do you a big favor. He said, what's that? I said, I'm going to wait until noon 
to give you an opportunity to have the governor sign this bill. But if you don't, I'm going to hold a press conference on the front steps of this building, and I'm going to tell the whole world what a stupid thing you just said to me. And he kind of slumps down his chair, thought about it for a minute, and said, would 1230 be okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the governor signed the bill at 1230. Wow, okay. Wow, that, that was effective at getting rid of that situation, yeah. <laughs> well, but that was just the start. Yeah. Because it wasn't mandatory. Oh, okay. So I called up the, the port when I got home. People around the port. Told them who I was. And I said, you know, I just talked to the Indiana Department of Natural Resources. And they are so excited about having an opportunity to do this, that they're going to come to your offices next Wednesday at 1 o'clock to inspect the area for a possible site for fishing. The guy said, really? And I said, yeah, really. He said, oh, okay. So then I called up the Department of Natural Resources and spoke to the man in charge, Smokey Joe Robinson. <laughs> and I said, Mr. Robinson? Said, yeah. Told who I was and what I sponsored. Yeah. yeah I, never looked at. I said, uh, I just talked to the Port of India. And they are really excited about this. And they want to meet with you next Wednesday at 1 o'clock at the port. Can you be there? Excuse me. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, Wednesday at 1 o'clock we meet, you know, and we're in the shed at the Port of Indiana, uh, about an eighth of a mile from the actual water. And uh, Smokey Joe shows up with his second lieutenant. Hmm, okay. And we're all sitting around talking, and Smokey Joe says, I don't know. He says, I think this is beyond hard to do. You know, I don't have much money. And the guy at the Port of Indiana says, well, I don't know. I just feel very hard to do. You know, we're, we've got other, other things we have to take care of. And I said, why don't we just go out and look at the spot? You know, just take a look. And uh, I finally get him to agree. And then we debate for 20 minutes about whether to take a car these 200 yards or walk. So Finally, decided to take the car. We get to Joe's limo, and we pull up right at the port. The water's right in front of us. And uh, the uh, second in charge of the Indiana Department of Resources, Natural Resources, gets out of his car and looks out of Lake Michigan and says, quote, my God, what a big lake. Close quote. So then Smokey Joe gets out of his car. And then at that moment, at that precise moment, a two-foot-long salmon jumps out of the water to get a bug in the air. <laughs> and Smokey 
Robinson just goes crazy. And he says, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that fucking fish? He said, I fly to Canada every fall to go fishing, and I've never caught a fish that big. <laughs> he said, we got to do this right now. we got to put a road in. We're going to put a road in right here. We're going to put a, 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 a place for fishermen to stand right here. We're going to put a porta potty right there. And uh, second command hasn't figured out yet what's going on. And he says, but Joe, but Joe, the money. Joe says, I got fucking tons of money in my basket back in, back in Indianapolis. We're going to do this next week. And uh, I think that was my proposal. <laughs> that's, that's pretty, yeah, epic, it sounds like, yeah. <laughs> Did you uh, have any big challenges you had to overcome during your time in office? Other than uh, my wife. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah, the challenge was that I wasn't making any money. Mm, okay. Because I'm, I'm a uh, sole practitioner. Yeah, yeah. I've got a street-level job, you know, office. Yeah. Uh, where people walk in and say, you know, I got this problem, can you solve it? Right. And if I'm not there every day, uh, they go some, they go somewhere else. Yeah. So when I got back to the office, it was like I was starting all over again. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And it, it, uh, I would take my entire salary from the state legislature and put it in my law office account. Mm. But at the end of each year, I was 20, ten to $20,000 short. Uh, okay, sure. From the years before. So I just couldn't afford to do it. And of course, that's part of this whole scam of citizen legislatures that they pull on Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in favor of small government, and we have citizen legislators. Yeah. You know, uh, we had 19 lawyers in the state legislature. Eighteen of them were state lawyers. Yeah. Had no idea how to practice law if somebody wasn't dead. Right. And the next biggest group were auctioneers. Wow. Because in a small town, the auctioneer is a person of import. Right. You know, because people in small town Indiana, they live for the auctions. Yeah, sure. Like, like their form of pornography or something. <laughs> yeah, big deal, yeah. Yeah. So, was it that sort of financial situation, as well as family situation, that kind of led you to leave the Indiana General Assembly then? Absolutely. So, you didn't I even... Had, I, was, I was having the time of my life, I just couldn't afford it. Yeah, so you didn't run again, did you? Well, like I said, I... I Took the crack at Attorney General. Oh, right, but yeah. I had to do it full time. Yeah, but the General Assembly, you just left. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I wish I could have. Right. Yeah, sure. What? I've I've seen a lot of politicians who have completely sacrificed their private private life, marriage, family, you know, for uh, 
politics, and I, I just, I love politics, but it, I wasn't going to do that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a big sacrifice to make for sure. Yeah. What you know, if you didn't like your wife and family. <laughs> That's right. I suppose, yeah. If you're if you're trying to get away from people, yeah, I guess. But yeah, yeah. What, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Uh, other than the obvious, I'm not quite sure what you're getting at. Like, uh, well, I mean, I've just heard people kind of focus on different things. Like some people say, oh, the budget, the balanced budget, is the most important thing, or oh. Uh, this is the most important thing. Yeah. Some people have... The most important thing in any legislative body is to make sure that the people aren't getting fucked. Okay, yeah. That's what I used to say to people when uh, Bill you know, on the ropes because of who he was, who he screwed. Oh, okay, yeah. I said, you know, I don't care who the president of the United States screws as long as it's not the people. Right, right. Yeah. Let's see. What lessons, if any, did you learn from your experiences in the General Assembly? Uh, don't go into politics unless you have a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> Do you have any regrets as legislator? No. Uh, what about any... I don't, regret, I don't regret that I couldn't run again because... Right, yeah, your situation. I had other priorities in life. Yeah, sure. Because uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you, you really enjoyed it, so that's good. Well, I was voted the outstanding freshman legislator of the year, you know. Oh, really? Okay. That's pretty cool. Do you have any advice to uh, future legislators or even current legislators? Well, you know, the, the problem is that But somehow we have to get 
back to that spot of, I disagree with what you say, but I would defend with my life's right to say it. Right. Yeah, it's... I don't know exactly how we got away from all that. Yeah. seems clear yeah and so this this makes me think then um when it comes to thinking about i know talk about politics on like the national level in terms of its focus on indiana how do you think politics has changed over time in indiana nothing's changed over time in indiana okay so it's pretty much just been stagnant it's frozen into a time warp mm-hmm that uh, had something to do with the 1920s. Okay. And what about the Indiana General Assembly? The same thing? You mean, are they still fighting the Civil War? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like, uh, in terms of uh, how politics plays out in the General Assembly, is it the same? Well, I mean... Indiana, if you go back and look at history, yeah. Indiana should have been a southern state. It had great southern sympathies. Yeah. So much so that when the uh, legislator, legislature, met after Lincoln was elected president, they immediately adjourned without passing the budget. Okay. You know about this? No, no, that's interesting. Yeah, they immediately adjourned without passing the budget. I would believe that this would cause Indiana to join the South. Wow. So, so uh, Lincoln got together with the governor of Indiana at the time, a guy by the name of Morton. When you go down to the Indiana State Legislature, you'll see a statue. Yeah. Right at the entrance of the building. Right. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So he and Grant got together. I mean, he and Lincoln got together. And worked out a deal 
where Indiana's budget came directly from the federal government for the next two years. Mm, okay. And uh, this prevented the uh, tactic that the legislature had used to make the Indiana go south. Yeah. That's why more than the statute's there. That's and, interesting. Uh, then Captain Hines you know who Captain Hines was? I've I've heard of him. Uh, he's he was the Gray Fox. He was Confederate. Mm-hmm. And he ran raids along the Ohio River. Okay. In the early part of the Civil War. And that turned Indiana into a Union state. Yeah. Anyway, Indiana somehow merged Southern sympathy with the idea of the, a small government mm-hmm. and came up with this uh, ridiculous constitution we have in the state. And, and we're stuck with it. Okay, interesting. It is interesting. So, any more questions? Yeah, I have uh, just two more and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosiers still have or hold dear? What enduring quality? What? Uh, what, if any, enduring qualities do Hoosiers still have or hold dear? Enduring to whom? Well, I suppose it's subjective, but uh, to you. <laughs> Enduring quality. Enduring, yeah. Creativity. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, let's see, last one. What do you want Hoosiers to know about their role in relation to the function of the Indiana General Assembly? Anything, something. Please. Just something. <laughs> just, just try to pay more attention, I guess. Just, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, try to... Uh... Because the only people that really are involved are people who have a special axe to grind. Right. Okay. I, I suppose that's, you know, par for the course in a democracy. Yeah. Uh, it's better than nobody being involved. I suppose, yeah. In a democracy. Yeah. Um, but, um, but really, we, as I said earlier, we really need to simplify the whole system mm-hmm. to give people a chance. You know, if we had four counties, if we didn't elect every fucking office you could think of, mm-hmm. if people could go to the polls uh, once every two to four years without this idea that they have to vote three years out of four, then I think the public would be much more involved. Mm-hmm. But the way the way it is now, the, the, the public is is much more involved on the national level than the local level. Right. But of course, part of that problem is the whole 
different subject matter of media. Mm -hmm. uh, because most local papers are dead. Most local TV stations are dead. Virtually all local radio stations are dead. So, you know, a Hoosier sitting in Kentman County uh, basically gets his news from Channel 5, NBC in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, so no wonder he doesn't know who the auditor is. Right, right. Or what the auditor does. Yeah. You know, our, uh, our, our, our government, there are too many things wrong with the fundamental document of our government to shake a stick at. Yeah. And both of them, local and, and federal level. I mean, they went to our college. What a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. The Second Amendment. What a crazy idea. It's definitely an interesting time to see how these things play out throughout history. Yeah. Of course, there is the Third Amendment, you know. Mm-hmm. You know about the Third Amendment? A little bit, but not much. Government, the government can't force you to house soldiers in your house. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. working out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Came in handy yeah. then. Yeah, the guy said, hey, he pled the third. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, anything else? Uh, no, do you have uh, anything else that I didn't ask about that you wanted to add at all? Or? You know, I think we covered this uh, something pretty thoroughly. Yeah, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, it's a really cool thing to have added to the collection and just hear your stories and and your experiences so well sometimes when you come up to beautiful Gary Indiana come on over to Miller Beach come see me yeah absolutely I'll be happy to that'd be cool all right. okay all right take care bye bye